Welcome, Fellowship Asheville and beyond. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Listen, today we're going to talk about something uh, that many of us are already facing. And if you're not facing it now, if you're not facing it today, um, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to be facing it in the weeks ahead. And, and what we're going to talk about today is something that's been here since before the coronavirus. It's been here since, since COVID-19 was a familiar word. It's been here since before social distancing was a thing. As a matter of fact, the issue we're going to talk about today is a deep problem in our culture. It's so deep that, listen to this, what we're going to be talking about today has tripled in the past 20 years. What we're going to be talking about today, people who deal with this issue have a 26% higher rate of an early death than those who don't. As a matter of fact, what we're going to be talking about today is such a deep issue, not only in the American culture, but in the worldwide culture, that in the United Kingdom, there is a person uh, whose government role specifically targets this problem. And so what are we going to be talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about loneliness. Yeah, in 2017, the United Kingdom appointed a person, the Minister of Loneliness, to help deal with this problem. Now, loneliness is more than just introverts being introverts, which, by the way, if I can speak as an extrovert for just a moment, uh, introverts, this new world that you've created for us isn't that bad. But I will say as an extrovert, I really don't want to overstay my welcome. So if we could move this along, I would be very appreciative of it. Now, loneliness, though, is something that's much deeper. See, being alone is different than being lonely. Right. Because here's what I've learned from being married to an introvert. Here's what I've learned about being alone. Being alone actually refuels your soul and it recharges your battery. But being lonely is something that's very different. Being lonely means that you have a feeling of emptiness, of isolation, a feeling of being unwanted. And, and, and loneliness can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, if you have a big family, if you have a small family, if you live with lots of people, or if you live by yourself, many people deal with loneliness and have dealt with it long before now. Y'all, loneliness is real. And it can sneak up on, up, it can sneak up on you and it can last way longer than it needs to. Now, maybe this describes you. Maybe even in this short time where we've kind of been hunkered down, you have felt lonely. Or maybe this describes someone you know, this feeling of emptiness, isolation, and feeling unwanted. Well, today we're going to see how our faith deals with this issue of loneliness. And we're also going to see a really practical way to keep loneliness away. And so we're going to be in the book of John this morning, John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. As you're turning there, I, I, I would love for you to open up your Bibles and follow along with me. Uh, you can also, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can download the Bible app and there's different versions of the Bible. You, you, pick, you pick the version of the Bible that's the easiest to understand for you and you can follow along with it. It's really easy. It's just a couple of clicks away. As you're turning there, I want you to, to, to notice too in the, in the notes of this, of this watch party, of this premiere, there's playlists for you. There's a playlist for worship um, that ties with this message. There's also a playlist just for you to enjoy and listen during your own prayer time, your own reflection time, your own meditation time. Uh, so there's a couple of different playlists there's for you. 
There's also questions uh, for you to engage with after my message today as you continue thinking about or you want to talk about this with your family. Uh, We provided some questions there for you. And what we're going to see today is the third statement that Jesus spoke on the cross. Now, what we're doing as we lead up into Easter is we're looking at the seven statements that Jesus said on the cross. And we're doing that to prepare our hearts and our souls for Easter. We've seen Jesus already speak about forgiveness as he was on the cross. We've seen him assure us of his presence with us as he was on the cross. And today we're going to see him provide a way out of loneliness. Well, let's look at chapter 19, verse 25. It says this. It says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, from what we've done in the past couple of weeks, you know that there were other people around the cross. There were religious leaders there. There, were, there, were the, there was the crowd there. Uh, but what John is doing is he's focusing on our attention on just a few people that are, that are gathered there at the cross. And, and he wants us to focus his attention on them too. The first person, one of the people that he mentions is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Joseph was Mary's husband, Jesus's stepdad, if you will. And Joseph had already passed away. Mary was a widow. And and, and when we get a little bit further into this, you'll see why we know that. But there's another woman there, Mary's sister, Jesus's aunt. And and her name is Salome. And she's John's mother. John, the same John that wrote this letter, that's his mom that's there. And so both of these ladies are family with Jesus. His mom is there and his aunt is there. But there's other ladies there too. There, there's another Mary and, and, and her name is, she's, she's, she's known as Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Now, if this is the same Cleopas that's in Luke, then we know that Cleopas and this Mary were the ones on the road to Emmaus. And so we know that Jesus comes after his resurrection and speaks to them on the road to Uh, road to Emmaus, that Jesus appears to her after his resurrection. But then there's this other Mary, Mary Magdalene that's there. And she's this interesting woman uh, in Jesus's ministry. She's she's present for much of Jesus's ministry. Jesus uh, drove seven demons out of her, and and that's when she, she gave her life to him. That's when she said yes to Jesus. Apparently, she was a woman uh, of financial means because she supported Jesus's ministry. She was one of his disciples. She was actually one of the few people that was present at his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. What's interesting about Mary Magdalene is that she's mentioned more times than some of the apostles are mentioned in the scriptures. In Jesus's ministry, this woman was incredibly important and crucial to his ministry. And and, and if I can, I want to take a side note here, because I know that that I'm speaking to people that are beyond Fellowship Asheville. And we talk about this at Fellowship Asheville, uh, but you may be new to church and you may be new to to, to what this is and and listening to sermons. And and if this describes you, then then you know this is true. You know that, that Christianity, you know that the church, when I say church, I mean the big worldwide time spanning church, has a bad reputation for the way that we have treated women. And it is a well-earned reputation. When you think about the church and you think about the church literally that has stretched through centuries and, and you think about it worldwide, as a general rule, when you look at that, there has been a lot of belittling of women and their role in the church. 
And I take this as a side note because I want you to know Jesus didn't do this. When you look particularly at the, at the book of Luke and you read, and you read John, you see women having these, these, these crucial and vital and important roles in ministry. And I want you to know here at Fellowship, uh, we're not perfect in this, but, but gosh, we, we strive to lead like Jesus did in that manner. And if you've been hurt by the church in this way, you know, it's interesting, as I wrote this, I, I, I had at first in my first draft of this message, I had this time where, where I, I looked into the camera and I said, forgive us as the church. But, but as I prayed about this and I thought about this, the Spirit of God reminded me of something. I, I don't know that I can fix the hurt that you've experienced in the church. I wish that I could. But what I can do is I can invite you to trust Jesus again. Because here's what I know. Jesus will treat you better than some of his followers did. And if you are here in Asheville, we would love for you to come and experience what Jesus is doing here um, uh, when we gather together again. Because like I said, we're not perfect in this, but we make every effort to lead as Jesus did. And so if you're a woman and you have said yes to Jesus, I want you to hear me say you are important. And you are a vital role in what Jesus is doing in the world right now. Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26 says this, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. So so here's what John is going to do now. Now he's going to zoom in our focus a little bit more. And he's going to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and himself. And what's interesting, if you read the book of John, uh, you see John refers to himself with this really unique phrase. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, in some ways, this may seem arrogant, right? Um, And and honestly, I considered it an arrogant response as I read the book of John. Now, he has some some, some reasons for doing this. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He is Jesus' cousin. They were tight. And, and, and as, I've, as, I've, as I've studied John, I, I kind of thought, man, that, that's just his thing. He's just kind of arrogant in the way that he sees himself. But I've changed my view on this. I was reading a, a commentator, a person who knows a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. And, and he sees this as something much more humble. You see, he sees this as John not wanting his name to be seen with Jesus's that he really wants the focus to be on Jesus and he wants the focus to be on other people. And so for John, for him, and and in the culture he grew up in, names are incredibly important. And so if he can take his name out and put just a phrase there, that's not just true about him, but it's true about every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is a disciple that Jesus loves. It actually lowers his view and exalts the view of Jesus. Now, I like this view of humility better. It lines up with other passages in the Bible. Paul, who's another writer of the New Testament, said this, that humility is considering others more important than yourself. And this type of humility, it's a good way to live, isn't it? A life where we consider others more than we consider ourselves. A life where we think about others more than we, more than we think about ourselves. You see, I think 
If we simply take the way that John sees himself in comparison to Jesus and in comparison to others, and we apply it to the way that I see myself and you see yourself, if we apply that very simple truth, I think we can experience something great. Tim Keller says that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Oftentimes when I feel lonely, when I feel isolated, when I feel unwanted, do you know who I'm thinking mostly about in those minutes? I'm thinking mostly about me. And some of you might be stuck at home. And this social distancing thing, man, it started off great. You enjoyed some alone time, but now you're just lonely. I feel you. I do. Loneliness is real and it feels awful. But you know what gets me out of that funk? Okay, I'm going to go old school on you here for just a minute because what helps get me out of that funk is picking up the phone and giving someone a call. Because here's the deal. For every one of you who are lonely right now, there's a parent of school-aged kids who did not know that they were homeschooling this year, right? And so they are losing their mind right now and they are dying for an excuse to talk to someone on the phone. They want to hear a voice other than their kids asking them for something to eat right now. They want to have a conversation with someone about Netflix, about American Idol. They want to hear from you about what God is is teaching you and what God is showing you. They want want something different. And, And hear me, church, you can be that difference for them. Now, this is corny, and I admit it, but I want to keep... I want us to help keep the loneliness away. And so, so, so how do we keep the loneliness away? It's this. Three calls a day keeps the loneliness away. See, I told you it was corny. I admit it, but there it is. What would happen if we as a church made three phone calls a day? Here's what would happen. We would connect with each other. We would think of ourselves less. We would become a more humble people. Now, I could stop my message here, right? That we've got to the application, that's good. But I think it's important to know why, the why behind the what, right? So let's see why this works. Let's see, what, let's see why John is zooming our intention in on to him and Mary. Look at verse 26, because it's our third statement from the cross. The rest of it, it says, He said to his mother, so this is Jesus speaking. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. Like I said, this is our third statement from the cross that we're focusing in on today. And we're going to capture this phrase with the word son. Our plan was to keep adding a word to the cross as we worked our way through this, a word from each statement. And so you'll see the word forgive, you'll see the word with, and we've added the word son. And here we see Jesus do something for his mother to take care of her because she, he doesn't want her to be alone. This is how we know that she's a widow. She has no one to take care of her as far as the husband goes. And Jesus is her firstborn son. And so he's making sure that she is provided for. And what he's doing is he's moving her care instead of to his other siblings who, who, who scriptures indicate at this point, they don't see him as the Messiah. And so he's moving her care from from them to John. And what's interesting 
is Jesus speaks to them with the same words that are used in adoption proceedings at the time. In ancient times, these are the words that a, a judge or, or, or a legal person would, would speak to show that an adoption was legal and binding. And John is adopting Mary and Mary is adopting John. John now has a new mother is what Jesus says. Now keep in mind, his mama is standing right next to them. I don't know how that went down. But what Jesus is saying is now Mary is his new mother and she is his new son. I want to take a minute and look at this statement through the empty tomb, right? We're calling this series an empty tomb is a full life. And there's this full life for us here when we look at this and when we understand it. Jesus spoke adoption over his mom and over John. And let's fast forward this a few bit, a few days because, because we know that, that after his crucifixion, he is resurrected and, and his resurrection proved that everything he did and everything that he said was true. When somebody raises from the dead, you pay attention to what they said. And he said, Jesus said that he was the truth, the light and the way, and that the only way to have a relationship with God, the father, the only way to, to, to have a personal relationship with God was through him. And so you see, when, when he spoke this, this, this language of adoption over Mary and John, he did what adoption does because adoption does two things. It changes your legal status and it changes your relationship. And so he changed the, the status of Mary and John from, from nephew and aunt to, to son and mother. And in changing the status, he also changed their relationship. When a child is adopted into a family, their status changes. The law sees that child differently after the adoption than it did before. And now the relationship of that child changes. He is now a son and, or a daughter. Or he is a son. She is a daughter of the people that adopted him. So church, when you say yes to Jesus, I need you to hear this. When you say yes to Jesus, this happens to you too. Galatians 3.26 says this, you are all sons of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, your legal standing changes and your relationship changes. Through Jesus, you have a different legal standing with God. You were guilty, now you are innocent. You were far away from God, now you are brought near. You are a son or daughter of God. He is our Father, and we are brothers and sisters. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Because if you've said yes to Jesus... By placing your faith in Him and His atoning work and, and the fact that, that His death paid the sacrifice that was required for sin that you and I couldn't pay. When you say yes to Jesus, not only do you get this gift of salvation and this gift of a relationship with a God who loves you and made you and created you, you also get this other gift. You get the gift of family. Now, here's why this is important. John is showing us a group of people who are standing around the cross. Each one of these people said yes to Jesus. Each one of these people saw, see, and saw, and, or in, in one case, will see Jesus as the Messiah, each one in their own individual way. Mary, Mary understood that Jesus was a Messiah before he was even born because God revealed it to her and, and she pondered these things in her heart. 
Salome, we don't know her story of faith. I'm assuming, you know, her sons were James and John, Jesus's disciples. I'm assuming, I'm assuming they shared their testimony with her. They shared their faith with her, their, their journey of faith with Jesus. And, and she came to see him as the Messiah. Mary Magdalene became, came to Jesus when he healed her. The wife of Cleopas, that Mary, she came to Jesus probably on the road to Emmaus. Each one of them has their own story. And each one of them, this is true, and this is true for you too, that you become a Christian for yourself, right? It's not about your mom and dad, right? Their faith is their faith. What is your faith? Have you said yes to Jesus? And it's not about your parents rejecting Jesus either. Just because they did doesn't mean that you have to. You can say yes to Jesus and you can say yes to Jesus because you need him. And, and, and if you haven't said yes to Jesus, then I ask you to do it today. Why not? Why not enter into this life-giving relationship with the God who loves you and created you and enter into this family of God full of brothers and sisters? And if you are saying yes to Jesus, then comment yes and we'll follow up with you. But here's something else people forget. And it's something that we clearly see here. And this is where our full life is because of this empty tomb. You become a Christian for yourself, but here's the secret. You aren't made to be a Christian by yourself. You come to Christ for yourself, but you're not made to be a Christian by yourself. Church, we need each other, don't we? We need each other specifically when we are lonely. But there's something else about family that we need to see. Let's, let's look at this last bit of this passage. It says, And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And so Mary, and so John brought Mary into his home as he would his own mother. And, and here's what I'm going to show you that's implied in this verse. And, and when we kind of zoom out and look at the scriptures as a whole, we see this. And we see that being a family has a cost. Right? Jesus made John and Mary a family. And this commitment to family had a cross. John was in like this, this group of guys who were taught by God himself. And from that group of guys, they went on to, to start and do all these other ministries. Peter led the church from Jerusalem. Matthew was this tax collector who came to know Jesus. And from him, we get the gospel according to Matthew. John, what's interesting, John, we don't hear anything about. For decades. When you look at the writings of the Gospels, you'll see that they were written in, in like the, about 50 years, about 50 AD. John's isn't written until the late 80s, early 90s. The other books that he wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, are written in the 90s AD. He had 20 years of silence. Why? Because he had family obligations. He took care of Mary. So being a family has a cost. Being in the family of God has a cost, just like being in a family has a cost. Kids, you know this is true. Being in your family has a cost, right? You have got rules to follow. You have got chores to do. That's the cost of being in a family. Parents, you know that being in a family has a cost, right? It costs time. It costs energy. It costs money. Being in the family of God, church, we have a cost too. When we serve and love and offer ourselves up, it costs time, it costs money, it costs energy, it has a cost. So why? 
Why do we do this? Why did God make us a family? Why did He make John and Mary a family? And why, from this one statement on the cross, do we think that there is a full life in being a family? Why do we do this? Because it was done for us. That is the beauty of these, this passage. Jesus made them a family, just like Jesus makes us a family. Jesus loved and served and offered Himself up. It cost Him everything so that we could be a family. But church, hear me, for every cost, there is a reward. You see, yes, Jesus did this for us, but here's the reward. He empowers us to do that for each other. Jesus said he was going to send us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to empower us. And so, so when we are the family of God, being the family of God, we get to experience God in a way that we couldn't experience him all by ourselves. That's why I love that, 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 that this time that we live in, that we still get to be the church even when we can't be with each other face to face. You get to experience Jesus and the family of God and the benefit, the perk for us is that we get to minimize our loneliness and we get to dispel the loneliness of somebody else. So this week, I, I want to ask you to do something and I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to cost you some time every day but it'll help us be a family. Even though we aren't physically able to see each other, what I want you to do, church, is I want you to do this. Three calls a day keeps the loneliness away. Church, being a family is worth it. Well, let's call each other this week. Let's encourage one another. Let's meet needs as they arise because there are going to be needs in our congregation. There's going to be needs in the people that you call. Let's meet those needs. If Fellowship Asheville is your home, we're going to help you do this. Um, right after this is over, about 1030 on Sunday morning, we're going to send you an email uh, that has a directory of everybody that calls Fellowship Asheville home with their name, their phone number, and their email. And I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, though, is I want you to call them. I want you to pick up the phone and call them. So who's in? Who's with me? Who's one, who wants to call three times a day to keep the loneliness away. If you do, then just type I'm in in the comments. And I just want to see those comments fill up with people who are committing to every day calling three people. Here's what I hope happens. I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope that when you're talking to people and you see what their life is like, it pulls us out of our own life and puts us in the lives of others. And so that maybe we can be Jesus to them. Now, I'm going to continue this conversation in a Facebook Live when this shuts down. Uh, we'll just start that up. And you can ask me questions and I'll, I'll, I'll answer them, or at least try to answer them. Um, and, and we will just continue this conversation. Join there if you can. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, you have made us family. You have made us brothers and sisters together. And as God is our Father, we, we are the family with Him. We are family with you. And, and, and Jesus, I pray that you will move us, you will empower us to be the family of God, to be the family of God for each other, and then to, to show the world around us what the family of God can be. That it can be a people that love each other. It can be a people that encourages each other. It can be a people where, where acceptance of who we are is, is, is okay. We can be a people that, that push each other to, to, to pursue more holiness and more righteousness. Father, make us that family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. 
Thanks for being here. I'll see you on the 